Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the gift and blessing of your love and, and your grace and mercy on us. Lord, we, we pray as we get into your word uh, today, uh, not only with this teaching, but with the singing and with the, the actual message that's uh, preached later today, Lord, that, that our hearts would just see more of you revealed and see more of your truth and wisdom and love and compassion towards us, Lord. Please open our, our minds and, and ears and hearts to hear your truth, and most importantly, Lord, to apply it and to live it in a way that honors and glorifies you. So, Lord, bless our time together now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're just beginning our, our new study now on uh, a series in 2 Timothy. Uh, we just finished our overview of Colossians for those who maybe haven't, weren't able to uh, attend all or some of that, and... Uh, if you recall, if you were part of the Colossians study, you might recall that Timothy was actually with Paul uh, when the book of uh, Colossians was written. He was actually, you know, he was helping him with the writing of that, or with that letter to the Colossians. And part of why we've chosen uh, 2 Timothy here is it's, it's sort of a flash forward from what we just, where we just saw them last. Uh, this letter uh, to in 2 Timothy was written during Paul's second imprisonment. He was imprisoned more than once, and this, is, this book was written during his second imprisonment, uh, as opposed to the last time when we saw uh, them together in, uh, in Colossians. And you're going to see a lot of threads of some of the same people and issues and events that were discussed in Colossians in that study. And as a matter of fact, just to give you one, one example, if you were here last week, when James was teaching on Colossians 4, uh, chapter 4 there, uh, James alluded to Demas. And the interesting thing is when we get to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, uh, we will see uh, that name come up again and how actually that person's life took a pretty significant turn in another direction. So it's sort of a continuation of the story here. And, and there are some major changes also even just in the conditions of Paul's incarceration this time in Rome. So as we, we're going to go into some of that. As we get into some of the background of this epistle, we'll start with some of the contrasts and, and comparison to Paul's imprisonment when he wrote Colossians. And during that time, he wrote some of the other epistles, you know, as they're known, the, the prison epistles at that time. Uh, his first imprisonment was, from what everybody can understand, probably around 60 A.D. to 63 A.D., somewhere around in there. But that was the result of persecution of the Jews that were accusing him of heresy and sedition, whereas the charges against Paul this time, and this has gone a few years forward, so it would have been around AD 64 to 68, somewhere around, so uh, several years later, as he's being incarcerated this time, uh, it was the Romans accusing him of, of crimes against the empire. So things were a little bit different because of the, the, the charges there and who was bringing the charges. And while the first incarceration Again, again, just as way of understanding a little bit of the background, the first incarceration was, was a little bit more like a house arrest. So there was a lot more freedom Paul had, even though he was chained to a, a Roman soldier, there was a lot more freedom that he had at that time. Uh, whereas in uh, the second time, it was in a, pretty much what you would picture when you think of a, a dungeon, sort of a dark, dank dungeon, not so, not so nice of a place, not where people are coming in and Hey, Paul, how you doing? Sorry about those chains, but I can still visit with you. You know, it's a little, little bit different conditions altogether uh, that, that are going on. 
So because of that, obviously, very poor conditions for Paul. He was not able to have as many visitors as he was the first time. Uh, he was um, also, um, when, when you think about that, the opportunities to witness even to others within his sphere, even there in the jail, were limited. So there's just even the amount of people that he could witness to uh, were, were more limited. Um, and last but not least, the first time when he was in prison, he was rightfully optimistic about the fact that he was going to eventually be released and that the Lord would have him continue on with the rest of his missionary journeys and such. Whereas this time, when he wrote this epistle to Second Timothy here, uh, he really is fully expecting that this would end in his execution. So he understood that this was, this was going to be his swan song. And, and almost anyone that you, you look, at, look to as, in, as far as commentaries would talk about that, that this, the urgency and the importance of this, because Paul's knowing that this is probably going to be his last opportunity to continue sharing some of the gospel message. So he really wanted to drive certain points home so people could get this and understand this and not lose sight of these things. So it's a very, very different situation. So I hope that paints a little bit of some of the picture. Uh, and there were a lot of, a lot of differences in the circumstances. Uh, we're, we're also going to still see some similarities uh, in the message of the epistles. The same thing like with the Colossians. Paul is encouraging and exhorting Timothy much like he did with the Colossians. He's exhorting and admonishing, you know. He's also warning Timothy uh, not to be afraid of persecution and suffering, uh, just like he did with the Colossians. One big difference here, and as I shared with the other brothers that are also going to be bringing some of the, the teaching on uh, 2 Timothy here, one of the big differences here is this is a very personal letter. Whereas the book of Colossians was written to uh, an entire church body, this is a very, very personal letter that Paul is sharing with his, his, his dear, beloved co-worker in Christ. So it's, it's, you know, this is his friend and confident and confidant that he's, he's wanting to, he just wants to instill. If you know you had only one last time to talk to somebody before they were going to go away for a while, you would really want to impart as much wisdom as you can and, and really focus on the most important things that you can. So that's, that's where, where Paul's coming from. And as I mentioned last week, James did a great job in Colossians 4 explaining and giving some of the background because at the end of, of chapter 4, there's all these names of people. So again, to give us a little bit more of a, a link with, with some of that, um, I want to spend a little bit of time just giving a little bit of background on Timothy. Since we're skipping 1 Timothy and we're jumping right to 2 Timothy here, I just want to give a little bit of background about Timothy for those who aren't familiar so you, you know who this person is and, and, and what their background is. For starters, interestingly, interestingly enough, the name Timothy means one who honors God. I don't know if any of you knew that, but Timothy means one who honors God. His mother and his grandmother were both believers and obviously had some pretty high hopes for this child. If you name a child one, <laughs> one who honors God, you obviously have some pretty high hopes that this, this child will live up to the, the, the name that he was given. Uh, his father was Greek, and he came from uh, Lystra in Galatia, which would be what we would call today Turkey, modern-day Turkey. That's where he uh, comes from, and that's where, where he was born. And uh, Paul had led Timothy to Christ during his first missionary journey and then chose him to accompany him while he was 
only as, as best we can tell, he was probably only in his early 20s. Some, some commentators think that he could have even been as, as young as in his late teens. So here's this young man that Paul chose to bring with him on missionary journeys. And uh, Paul, Paul was obviously aware, uh, saw a lot of potential in this young man. And the Bible even records in Acts. I think this is a, this is a great thing that I, I think most of us would aspire to. It says in Acts 16:2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And I, I hope just as, as maybe our first quick point of reference and application that we can all agree that it would be a worthwhile goal to have all of the people of a church or churches in an area uh, have respect and, ap- and admiration for someone. So I mean, that, that's, that's a goal for us. If we're trying to honor and glorify Christ, we want to have that kind of a reputation. And this young man had that kind of a reputation, even though he was young and just starting in, in ministry with, with Paul. So uh, it, just a, a reminder, again, for application. When we're blessed, we are to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. So what, what the Lord's teaching us, we want to not only just know in our heads, but live out in a way that blesses other people. So. Uh, the last couple of points about Timothy uh, before we get into the actual passage here. Uh, I, I'm just going to give you four, four bullet points. And by the way, your, your outlines, you can, you can put some of these things wherever you, you, you find that uh, they, uh, they fit in with what you're thinking and what you're hearing and, and summarizing here. But a couple of points about Timothy. First, um, Paul mentions Timothy very frequently in other passages. I don't know if you've ever thought this or, or noticed this before. But in not only the book of Romans, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon, Timothy is mentioned. So this young man is very involved in the ministry of the early church. And Paul is mentioning him in all these other letters that he's sending out to these other churches about this young man who is of great reputation and faithfulness in sharing the gospel. Number two, Paul sent Timothy to churches as his own representative. We see this uh, shared in a couple of the different epistles here, where he's actually sent Timothy as the representative uh, to these different churches from Paul personally. And uh, he also then, uh, Timothy was a pastor at, a, at an Ephesian church. So in, in a, uh, 1 Timothy 4, we see that he's actually a pastor at a church there in Ephesus. So, again, some great background about this. This is really important to us because Timothy understood Paul's condition in a way that a lot of people couldn't because Timothy himself had been imprisoned for the gospel. I don't know if you ever realized that before, but Timothy had actually been imprisoned, just like Paul. And because he was set free, and it tells us in Hebrews 13, 23 that he was set free. But like Paul, and in, in Paul's first imprisonment, here's a man who's, who's known what it's like to be taken by the authorities because of the cause of sharing the gospel. So he's very aware of this. So that gives you a little bit of this, of this young man's resume. So I just ask you, now, now you know a little bit more about who Timothy is, if you didn't already, what, what do you think about the resume of this young man? I mean, what do you, what do you think, and by the way, if I could get a volunteer as a mic runner here too and or just shout out but I mean what do you think 
you know, we just get, did a little bit of quick background, and maybe from what you've already done, some other reading of, of Timothy. What do you think about the background of this young man, Timothy? What are the first things that come to your mind about Timothy? Like what I said yesterday, um, maturity isn't based on age. Age. Yeah. Yeah. It seems um, he was blessed and equipped by the Lord, um, not just in his, you know, with his mom and his grandma, but but also to be, um, you know, ministered directly with or by from Paul. So um, it seems the Lord. Uh, was was gracious and merciful in that way. Yeah. Great thoughts. Yeah, I mean this this young man. Anybody else? Any, any other thoughts on on this young man Timothy, who was who's like like Kai said, his maturity uh, was in the Lord, and as Sam said, he's carrying on more than just. Okay, I know my my parents were, you know were faithful and my grandmother was faithful. But he is faithful, and he's out, he's out doing the work diligently that, that he's called to do. I just wanted to add that Timothy was probably a great encouragement to Paul also, and, and vice versa, in that Timothy was the next generation, so he could come under the mentorship of Paul. And Paul must have been so encouraged by this younger man who didn't say, oh, I'm a teenager, I can't, you know, I can't handle this kind of thing. He took on the adult, a lot of adult uh, circumstances that God, you know, put him through. And, and so really ideal for Paul to be, uh, to have that kind of a young man to bring along to bring alongside him. It's funny, yesterday in the in men's breakfast, we kind of talked about this in a couple of our discussions as well. You know, those of you that are younger and maybe newer in the faith, for those of us that have been around for a while that might know a lot about the Lord and have walked with him and have a lot of experience, your energy and enthusiasm is a blessing to me, like Jane was saying. It, it is a blessing to us that have been in the faith for a long time to see younger people willing to step up and minister and use the gift that they have. I, I just want to encourage, especially those younger folks and those newer in the faith, this is really important to the whole body because we're all part of one body. So great points. Again, um, it, is, uh, <laughs> it is just great to see and hear uh, as we all understand a little bit more about the, uh, this, <laughs> this young man and his impressive faithfulness here. And I hope that, that will set up the book of 2 Timothy for you now. And you'll be able to sense why Paul wants to make sure he conveys some of these important truths to Timothy before he's executed. And he's obviously thankful uh, for his faithful friend and co-laborer here. So let's read, We're again, 2 Timothy, uh, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, so right off, the, right off the bat here, Paul's reminding Timothy, first of his own apostleship, uh, that it's by God's will. We're called to do these things by the will of God, not by our own power or understanding or, or ability. It's always by the will of God. And um, 
the promise of life that's in Christ. And he also wants Timothy to know that he's like a dearly loved son. Very, as, and when I said this is a very personal letter, he's telling him right off the bat, you are a, you're a dearly loved son. This is, you're, you're really important to me. And I, and I can't gloss over this. I wish I could spend more time on it. But the next part of this greeting says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and, Je- and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace. And we, a couple of us were mentioned about that before <laughs> yesterday, too, about grace, mercy, and peace and what that means as far as a greeting. But let's define this. This is really, again, we could spend a whole sermon or two just talking about grace, mercy, and peace. But please, give, let's give a def- definition first. What does grace mean? Who can tell me just a simple definition? And this is, as, as believers, what do we understand? What does grace mean? What's the definition of grace? There we go, in the back there. In the back, oh, there we go. Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Okay, you get that? So the first part of this greeting is grace to you, which is the unmerited favor, unearned, unmerited favor. That's part of the greeting. Grace. Mercy. What does mercy mean? What does mercy, what's the definition of mercy? How would you describe that? Uh, Doing for others what they can't do for themselves. Yeah, doing, yes. God doing for others what they can't do for themselves. What else? What else does, uh, does uh, mercy mean? Because that's definitely what God is to us. He is merciful to us. He's done something that, that we can't do. Be more specific. It's in the acquittal of our sin. It's forgiveness. Forgiveness for something we've done and not, not giving us the penalty that we're due. If I, if I could kind of summarize it that way, we're not going to receive, we're going to get something that we don't deserve and instead we're, we're forgiven for the punishment that we do deserve. So the second part of it, so the greeting here is grace and mercy. So unmerited favor and forgiveness and, not, and no punishment given to you for what you've done. And then peace. Peace, and this is peace not just like, uh, you know, the world's talking about. This is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I, I just want to encourage you, and, and I, again, I, I, I went down a real long rabbit hole on this when I started, because it's so easy to, to, to blow through these, these greetings and not understand what this is. This is what we are, what you, there can be no better blessing that any of us could receive than grace, mercy, and eternal peace. And I want to encourage you where you can, when you greet a brother or sister in the Lord, when you say, hey, how you doing? Bless them. If you can take a moment to just bless them and say, because I know what, what God has done and what he is capable of doing, I want to greet you in the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you. If you're going through a difficult time, how would that make you feel if a, if a brother or sister reminded you of the blessings of the Lord, of grace, mercy, and peace? So if you can remember, this is another kind of point of application. Think about that when you're, when you're, when you're greeting uh, an, another brother and sister. Hey, God's grace, mercy, and peace to you. This is really important. So 
Anyway, I'll, I'll stop there. Again, I could go on a really long tangent on that, but it's very important. This is part of, this is part of the, just the greeting that Paul has for Timothy. I want the blessings of grace, mercy, and peace on you. Um, again, uh, back to our, our, our verse here. It says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Paul's not only thankful for a faithful brother, but for the sincere faith of an entire family. How many, just a quick show of hands, how many of you had a faithful family member that prayed prayed for you and or pointed you to Christ? How many of you had someone in their family, even when you, before you were a believer, that, okay? So a good number of us. I, I am so thankful that, that I had somebody in, in my family, it was actually my grandmother, that had prayed for me over all these years when I was uh, living a very rebellious lifestyle. And as another point of application, I would challenge all of us to be those faithful prayers for our unsaved family and friends. And we see a great example of, of how this turned out in this, in this particular case. Uh, we can never stop praying for our family and friends that are unsaved or struggling. Uh, we want to be those faithful praying people. So the next part of our verse uh, says, uh, it comes to the exhortation and the warning because of the faith that dwells in Timothy. Paul wants him to make the most of the gifts and to not be afraid. Verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a, gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I... Uh, I I, this was a memory verse when I was an early believer, but I, I've always remembered that verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind in the, in the uh, translation that I had memorized it in. But it means sound judgment and, and self-control. So God's not given us that, that, that spirit of fear and anxiety, but of, of love and self-control. So I now need to ask you guys another application question again. What does this verse that we just read, what does that tell us about being fearful and anxious? What does this tell us about being fearful and anxious? I see smiles out there. <laughs> I see a lot of smiles out there. Anybody want to pipe up and share what that means about being fearful and anxious? Any brave souls? There we go. I think quite simply, it, it's not from God. Fear and anxiety is not from God. So it's either from our own flesh, from the world, or from the enemy. It's not from God. Amen. Well said. That fear and anxiety is not from God. Okay? It's, it's either our own hearts and minds or, <laughs> or the world or the devil trying to attack us. So if we keep that in, in, in the forefront of our minds, hopefully 
this is a really important point of application here. You can remember, memorize that verse. If you, remember, if you, you, get a, if you want to memorize one thing out of Tim, Timothy, memorize that verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Because that will serve us in all kinds of different difficult circumstances. So I just want to encourage you to, to apprehend that. Uh, going into verse 8, it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to an holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I, would do, as I do. I would submit to you <laughs> that this is the apex of the whole message of the book of Timothy here. Um, let, let's, let's just, verses 8 through 10, let's just re reflect. I want to reread this again. Re <laughs> ruminate on this for a second with me. Let's re read this, because this is the gospel according to Timothy here. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We're going to see it again in verses uh, 12 and 16, but this is the first time uh, that that word ashamed uh, comes up. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But I, I hope you see that this whole passage is just a condensed version of the heart of the gospel, of what he's, what he's saying. He's telling who Jesus is, what he's done, God's plan from the beginning of time. It's the power and purpose of God that calls and saves us in Christ before time even existed. He triumphed over death. That's the good news, right? That's the gospel. He's triumphed over death, and he's ushered us in to eternal life. What's our response to this? This is the gospel right here. Death has been conquered. It's been, it's been overcome. The victory is won over that. We are now being issued into eternal life. What is that? Do you guys have any thoughts on this? This, this is really important. This is, this is what we believe as Christians. This is vital. This, this is it. Do we really believe this or not? This is where the river meets the road. If you don't believe this gospel, then you don't have that hope. Thoughts about this? Yeah, I think it should make us jump out of our seats. I mean, you can use the terms of church, hallelujah, or you can go, wow, how? By what means did I get included in this? And, and just have an enthusiasm that is unending if you really understand what it is, right? Hey, man, I'm getting, uh, getting chicken skin just thinking about it. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I think even going back 
meeting with grace, mercy, and peace. Like, these aren't just, like, vague biblical ideas, but they're directly connected to the gospel, yes. right? They're directly connected to us being redeemed. Like, we have grace, mercy, and peace. We can have full assurance that we are indeed kept in Christ. So, like, th that's why I think e even if you just remember those three, not just as, like, vague things that are, like, good, but directly connected to the gospel that has saved you, so... Amen. Keep preaching it. Who else wants to preach it here? <laughs> I, <clears throat> I think, too, that it's because he says in verse 8, therefore, meaning we go back to verse 7, where he's saying, don't fear, don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control because of the gospel. Yes. Yeah, that's our assurance. It's the gospel. So that's why we don't have to live in that, in that realm of fear and anxiety. We have the hope of this gospel, and it is a sure hope. Again, I, I could jump up and down and do cartwheels up here, but this is, this is, this is it. I, I, and I hope you all get this, and I hope you all understand just how great and precious this gift is. Because this, is this is why we worship. This is why we gather every week, because of this finished work. Any other thoughts on that section here? Okay, we're, we're going to go into um, uh, verse 11, um, which, which also mentions that um, uh, for which I was appointed a, a preacher, an apostle, a teacher. Just FYI, that, that is the exact same thing he told Timothy in 1 Timothy, uh, in his first letter to Timothy uh, back in 2.7. Uh, it's literally the same words. I was appointed. Remember, Paul in his own strength, what was he doing? He was persecuting the church. But God said, no, I'm going to appoint you for something completely different. You're going to be an apostle, and you're going to proclaim my truth. So just a quick reminder, as we'll see, it, it, it's not only for him, but uh, obviously uh, the appointings come from God for, for everyone. So verse 12, here's the second time we hear this word of shame. It says, but I am not ashamed, for not, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So knowing the person of Christ removes the shame and gives confidence. You know, Paul's brought this, this not ashamed uh, word out again here, but knowing the person of Christ removes that shame that we might have and, and gives us confidence. You know, the, the words and the work of Christ are trustworthy and can be believed uh, as the Holy Spirit enables us to do this. We would not be trusting in Christ if it was not for the power of the Holy Spirit. For those who did not grow up as Christians, we know we had a very different affection when we weren't believers. But God and the Holy Spirit now gives us this desire and this hunger for a truth that we didn't want to even acknowledge before. We didn't want to acknowledge anything that the Bible told us before. And now we have a heart that just yearns for this, which is why we gather and want to worship around this. Um, we hold on, and, and because of that, that, the practical part of this, that we can hold on even when we're suffering because Christ is the solid rock uh, 
if, if any of you know the, the parable of the two, the two builders, one built his house on this, the rock and the other built on the sand, the wise builder was the one that built on the rock, and that rock is Christ. And we've talked, the Bible has a lot of passages talking about the rock. Um, and uh, if, if, if you were here last Wednesday night, even uh, Dan's message was on 1 Corinthians 10, 4. A little bit different um, part of the rock because it was the, wa- the rock that the living water flowed out of. But even, even there is a reference to uh, Christ being the rock. For they drank the spiritual rock. It says, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ specifically. He's called the rock there. Peter also explains uh, in 1 Peter 2, 6, for it stands in Scripture, and then he's referring back to an Isaiah passage in the Old Testament. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Because if we're rooted in that rock, our shame has been overcome and cleansed by Christ who bore, remember, this is the gospel, Christ bore all of the shame that we should have, he bore it on himself so that we could be given deliverance. He bore our shame and delivered us from what we deserve. We deserve that shame. But what, what a transaction. <laughs> he takes that, we get that grace, that unmerited favor, and we have mercy we're not punished the way we should. Christ is punished for us. That's an amazing transaction. So Paul and the apostles have shown us the pattern of sound words. And doctrine and teaching matter. And they need to come from the source. God's word is our ultimate authority. Not man's opinions. We're going to hear more warnings about false teachings of men in the coming chapter, uh, chapters. But Paul turns the corner here uh, and contrasts some, uh, some unfaithful men against a, a humble and faithful man. And he isn't afraid to name names uh, so that Timothy can be on guard uh, against, uh, against them and not taken in by those that don't hold to the God's truth. So people who openly oppose God, God's revealed truth, need to be identified so that we don't start following them and go down those paths with them. So it says here, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know the, all the service that he rendered at Ephesus. And Timothy knows firsthand because he's seen, he's seen this, this gentleman, Onesiphorus, in action personally. So after identifying the, the opposition, Paul calls out a faithful bro- brother who sought him out when he'd heard that he'd been arrested again. So at, during Paul's second imprisonment here, what he's writing about, Onesiphorus uh, uh, did this at great risk to himself. For those who aren't familiar with it, Onesiphorus, the, the book of Philemon is written about this uh, runaway slave, and that's him. And God got a hold of this runaway slave and turned him in to a faithful minister <laughs> to Paul. 
who wrote all these different parts of our scriptures for us. His refreshing helped sustain Paul when he was in these dark, dank places. It's a run he's a runaway slave. Runaway slaves usually don't go looking for dungeons that other people are in, okay? They're trying to stay free and not get in any more trouble. But this, this person sought Paul out because of Paul's preaching, he came to know Christ. So now he is refreshing Paul, and Paul's identifying him. And uh, we've, he's heard that Paul is isolated and in a very bad place, and he goes and finds him. I, I, I hope you see that one of the pr practical applications of this is right doctrine leads to right practice. This slave heard the truth of the gospel and knew it wasn't just about, okay, now I've got some knowledge about this other deity out here. There was something that impacted his life and made him willing to take risks and even go and seek out another brother in a difficult situation. As Christians, that should be us. Because we're called, again, if we're blessed, to be a blessing to others. When we hear the word, we're to practice it. As the book of James, I'm sure most of you are familiar with, faith without works is dead. This is the outworking of really understanding that. So knowledge of the goodness and holiness of God leads us to love and good works. And Paul finishes off here with just a prayer um, that for God's mercy on someone who is not ashamed to share in his sufferings for sharing the gospel. And I pray that we will also be people that are not ashamed to suffer in the service to the Lord because suffering is promised, folks. It's not a, well, if, if you have to deal with some suffering in your life. No. We've been warned. We've been told that suffering's going to occur. But we can overcome because of this. We've got a few more minutes. I'm just going to close this in prayer, and then I'll open it up for some more questions and discussions here. But I just want to close this here in prayer, and then we'll, we'll keep going on with, with our uh, discussions. But dear Heavenly Father, what an amazing, <laughs> what a truly <laughs> awesome privilege it is to, to hear your word and to see from your word the transaction that's taken place because Christ was not ashamed to suffer and die for our sins in full obedience to you, the Father. Lord, that transaction <laughs> is, is greater than any gift or act of kindness that we have seen here on earth or will ever see on earth. Lord, we, we, ad, we admit our shortcomings and our guilt, and we thank you for this overflowing <laughs> outpouring, this overwhelming outpouring of, of, of grace that you've given us, and for this peace that we can have because we understand that your grace and mercy, what they have done, Lord, we, we thank you just uh, for that, even just the simple greeting of grace, mercy, and peace. Lord, let's remember that. And let us remember not to have a spirit of fear because that's not from you. So, Lord, um, just bless the rest of our time, Lord. Continue to, to strengthen and encourage us in the truth of your word as we continue our studies and continue our worship here today. We thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, in your outlines there, there's a couple other questions. We touched on a little bit of some of them, but... 
I just want to ask you really quick, because ashamed comes up three times just in the first chapter. It's also, bring, it's also brought up in, in chapter two as well. But what, why does Paul repeatedly mention not being ashamed? What, why do you think Paul is mentioning the importance of not being ashamed? I thought you were going to somebody else, sorry. <laughs> I was thinking that since Paul was persecuting Christians before, he was very familiar with the confrontation, mm. and maybe he had seen that. He had seen fear mm. in a believer, and, and maybe they were ashamed. You know, maybe he knows he was always there at that confrontation on the other side of it, so he was maybe also feeling sorry for having put them in that situation. He had that perspective, which was, which is that's odd unique, to look yeah. back at that, but that's how God works. So. Yeah, a very unique thing. That's good, good point. I mean, <laughs> he's the one that put fear and shame into these people and had, you know, took away their stuff, had, had some of them stoned, all these things. Good point. What else? What, why else do you think that Paul keeps repeating this, this, theme of being ashamed. Oops, you got one back there. Because Romans 1 says it's the power of God to salvation. <laughs> That's a good reason to not be ashamed. Of, we, we've, got, <laughs> we've got the power source here. Why would we be ashamed of the ultimate power source of, of the universe? Why else? Anything else? Why... Um, you think he brought up the being ashamed? I, um, I've always been taught that first and second Timothy and Titus were considered to be the pastoral epistles. And could you imagine churches that have pastors at the helm because Paul's handing the baton to Titus or to Timothy, rather. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine having churches that are filled with people that are faithless and ashamed of the gospel? Mm -hmm. So it would appear that, uh, maybe you can speak to this a little bit, Craig, about does Timothy possess a lack of fear? I mean, does he possess a lack of confidence in the gospel? Or is he supporting Timothy and saying, this is the way churches ought to be led. Churches need to be led by people who have strong faith, who are gifted. They have to be led by gifted people mm -hmm. and not ashamed of the gospel. And if you look around even Vacaville, you can see churches that are ashamed. And you know that because they start with a man-centered gospel. Mm -hmm. They start with man first, man do this, man do that, man do this, mm -hmm. and then God will do that. That's very contrary to what the Bible says. So they're trying to be relevant. They're trying to have people be relevant. Mm -hmm. How can we be practical? How can, how can we get people involved? When God regenerates a, a, a heart and he saves a person, right? So that's what, not ashamed of the gospel. Um, I think he's talking to Timothy, and maybe you can speak to this. But I think he's talking to Timothy as a pastor. Mm -hmm. 
and telling him the essentials of a pastor. Churches cannot be run this way. And that's a major point, so. Yeah, I, I agree on, on a couple of points there, especially that, you know, you, you can't compromise the truth. It's just being ashamed of the truth. And any time that one part of this, you're afraid or you're ashamed of some part of this word of God because this is all God's word, that's, that's what he's being admonished not to do. Don't shrink back. Don't compromise on any part of the Bible, whether it's the beginning or the ending, anything in between. We cannot afford to compromise. Don't be ashamed. Because of Romans 1, it's, it's the power of, of God. And we're not to be ashamed of this. And we're not to be ashamed if we have to suffer through some ridicule because we're not having the same kind of persecution. We're not being thrown in the dark, dank dungeons right now for, for sharing the truth at this point. Not yet, yeah. But we might get a little bit of ridicule on social media, and yet people are afraid and ashamed to share the whole truth because, oh, it might offend. No, don't be ashamed. We have to stand firm. And as, as Wayne mentioned, you know, obviously it's an admonition to be strong and courageous in, in that faith, Timothy. Don't compromise. Go ahead. But I think that's kind of the point, right, is like they're facing consequences that we don't face in sharing the gospel with people. And so in some ways the stakes are higher. Paul knows that he's shared the gospel and where has it gotten him? So, Timothy, I'm asking you to share this gospel. Guess where it's going to get you? And you can't shrink back from that. Like Wayne was saying, if the leaders in the church um, shrink back um, from sharing the gospel because of persecution, what's everybody else going to do? So you have to stand firm in that regard, um, knowing what the, the cost is probably going to be. And you get this sense that, I don't know if anybody in this room has ever been in a situation before in sharing the gospel. You, you, were, you felt physically threatened. You thought that maybe something physical is going to happen to me. You don't know it to what degree. Um, but there, in that moment, you have to make a decision. And sometimes you need just one word to hang your hat on and which trajectory you're going to move forward. Um, fear, shame, these are words where you go, I cannot be ashamed. And that, if I'm not going to be ashamed, then that, that, that forges the path forward for me, which I'm going to go regardless of the cost. But I think the key is um, what it is that he had said in... Um, sorry, chapter two, or, um, sorry. Um, verse 12, 2 Timothy 1, 12, I am convinced, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And so his eyes are focused on what God's capable and characteristic is rather than his own. Amen. Great stuff. I, I hope this gives you some good food for thought for, for your week and you remember to stand firm, not be ashamed. We're kind of out of time, but again, some great thoughts. And again, thank you so much too, just for everybody sharing. This is, this is why we have this kind of a forum in Sunday school where we can, we can sharpen each other's iron and encourage each other. So anyway, I encourage you to read, uh, start reading the next chapters of, of 2 Timothy so you're prepared for Sunday school. And then um, anyway, we'll get into uh, our, our worship service here in a few minutes. So. Thanks.